Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew3 Project project podcast as always i'm your host lisa fields the founder of the jew3 project and i have a co-host with me today pastor cameron triggs who is a board member and a fellow contender on the jew3 project hey everybody and we have a very special guest um pastor hb charles with us welcome pastor charles thank you for having me it's a joy to be with you (laughs) if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself yep i am a um follower of Jesus Christ now since I was a boy. I am a third generation pastor. I am a student of expository preaching. I am a husband of 17 years, a father of three terrorists. (laughs) I am in my second pastorate and I have been pastoring for over 20 years now. All right, that's amazing. And we want to definitely um, talk to you today about the importance of biblical literacy um, and apologetics, because I often say in order for us to be um, apologists and develop a biblical worldview, we have to first know what's biblical. And um, so we want to talk a little bit about your emphasis on expository preaching. How how can we use expository preaching to help uh, defend the faith? Yeah. So I believe we do live in a culture that is increasingly biblically illiterate. And I think one of the primary reasons why a pastor, teacher, should give expository preaching his primary emphasis in pulpit ministry is because people do not know the word. Not only do they not know the truth and the great doctrines and the gospel but many people in our pews don't know the basic stories of the Bible Mm -hmm. the narrative of the Bible Um, when I was uh, some some years ago I listened uh, to uh, a recording where one, um, one speaker was talking about black church culture where I grew up in being so rich in scripture mm-hmm. so that you could hear it even in their prayers mm-hmm. and I remember that growing up mm-hmm. just the language of scripture mm-hmm. not, not necessarily the quoting of particular passages but the language of scripture mm-hmm. was just saturated in the prayers and in the culture of the church my father when I was a boy would preach the Bible and he would say somewhere in the, in the Old Testament First Samuel is our text for the day and the members would start turning and finding it he didn't mm-hmm. some weeks even quote the chapter and verse mm-hmm. um man you have to quote first samuel and then tell him you know check your table of contents <laughs> to find it um so i just think in that regard uh it's important because people don't know the scriptures mm-hmm. and i don't think you should take that for granted mm-hmm. um i also think when I was younger, I was more, there's a relationship between um, biblical theology and systematic theology, and both are important. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like as I'm maturing, and I think a thing that has aided my maturity is just starting with the text Mm -hmm. and not putting so much emphasis on systems Mm -hmm. and reacting to trends. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the Bible is not merely an answer book. Mm Mm-hmm. It it is a it is it is to shape the worldview mm-hmm. of the believer, mm-hmm. and I think the danger of of going at the scripture another way besides expository preaching is that it becomes this kind of reference book mm-hmm. to find answers to what I am looking for, and sometimes I'm not asking the right questions, mm-hmm. and I'm inevitably going to get the wrong answers, even though I'm looking at the right source because my questions are wrong. Mm-hmm. I think scripture needs to set the agenda and I think expository preaching helps to do that mm-hmm. more than me. And I think taking out of context, not handled correctly, the concern of apologetics is that scripture could be used to support anything. Mm-hmm. And the more a person is just learning the basic the learning text in context mm-hmm. and making that the guiding principle for how they understand the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I think that begins to shape a world view mm-hmm. where, as they say in, you know, in the business world, the way they teach tellers to spot a counterfeit is to become very familiar with the genuine article. Mm-hmm. I think expository preaching helps that happen. I'm sorry if that's a long answer to a simple yeah. question. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor, quick follow up for somebody who's listening and says, I want to do that. I want to do what you're talking about, expository preaching. I want to start where the truth is. What would be your first couple of steps that you would recommend to a young pastor or minister? that wants to do what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would just, I would encourage as much formal education as you can go to a school to teach the Bible um, on a more practical level for a person who's already in the trenches. I would say, get a good book mm. like uh, Haddon Robinson's biblical preaching, um, Brian Chappell's Christ centered preaching or John MacArthur's expository preaching and just kind of, Work your way through these textbooks to understand what expositional preaching is. But even then on a more practical level, I would just say at this point, my concern really is not about titles. Textual, topical, doctrinal, Mm -hmm. narrative is not as relevant to me as much as when I am listening to preaching. My question is, in my mind, as as a preacher, of course, we listen to sermons as sinners and as preachers. Mm -hmm. But I'm asking, what's driving, as a preacher, I'm asking, what's driving this sermon? Mm -hmm. And the sermon is driven by something. Sometimes I hear sermons that seem to be driven by an illustration. And the illustration seems to be more important than the text. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I hear sermons and it's a political position that Mm -hmm. is being argued. Irregardless of what this text is saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This text has nothing to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to make a point about a political matter going on in the society around me and this text will not help me get there but it'll be a springboard to get me to where I want to go um you know I'm in a season right now at the time of this recording where we are launching a capital campaign in our church and the the danger even in something like that is to be preaching on generosity and pick texts that have nothing to do with that and find a sermon on money you know, some of us would condemn that. What pointing to the prosperity preachers, but when we need to get the budget up <laughs> or have a goal to reach, we could take a text out of context. And 
So I, I say that a pastoral concern, a pastoral goal, pastoral vision can be guiding the sermon rather than the text. I, I think really, if you want to do what I'm describing, I think you should pray and work hard to let the text drive the sermon. Immerse yourself, saturate yourself in that text. Do the best study you can to understand the meaning of that text. What is the main idea God through the writer was trying to teach in that text and build the sermon around the main idea of the text. And then the next text for next week, keep doing the same thing and do the same thing the next week. And as you are doing this faithfully over time, you are building up a treasury of biblical then thus doctrinal understanding you're also modeling for your church over time how to read the scriptures mm -hmm. and as you are going through text after text after text particularly if you particularly if you choose to do this through a an extended passage of scripture you are building up your knowledge um so that when you get to Ephesians and see a theme and you see that it matches with what, what is said in Romans and reinforces that and you're mm -hmm. you're starting to see the connection of systems mm -hmm. and themes but it's rooted in the text not something foreign imposed on the text. Mm -hmm. That's good. Because I think it's important I think John MacArthur said people are going to study how you preach how you preach and a lot of people in our generation kind of just they study during the week what the pastor taught on Sunday. Sure. And if it's just here, there, and everywhere, they're not getting a comprehensive view of Scripture. Hmm. Yep. yep. Pastor, we're going to turn uh, a little bit to talk about kind of counseling. You probably encounter more apologetic issues than somebody who just may be um, a professor or academic. You have people come into your office who may have questions about abortion, have questions about doubt. Um, different theologies or even what their uh, professor is saying in the classroom um, for a pastor who is pressed for time what apologetic resources would you recommend to them what websites or speakers or uh, what tactics or even personal practices would you recommend to that pastor who is doing the daily um, administration of pastoral ministry the preparation to preach the word and still needs to prepare himself to be an apologist for the counseling issues that he faces. Sure. Without being redundant, I really think I don't necessarily view myself as especially skilled in counseling. I would say that I am competent and the level of confidence I have to do that is rooted in my commitment to expositional preaching. Mm -hmm. So my my understanding of my pastoral responsibility is um, by way of analogy that of Acts 6 and 4 where the apostles say in the midst of the hustle and bustle of a growing church mm -hmm. and the crises that were created that we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is what I think pastoral ministry primarily should be about. Prayer and the ministry of the word. Everything else should be secondary to prayer and the ministry of the word. Which is more important? When you get on a plane, which is more important, the left mm -hmm. wing or the right wing? I mean, mm -hmm. I think both are important. But I, I would subdivide that. Mm -hmm. I believe there is the public prayer ministry of the word. 
And then I think there's the pastor's commitment to the private prayer and ministry of the word. And I, I really do believe pastoral counseling should be viewed as the private ministry of the word. It is not the same thing as preaching, but it should be viewed in a real sense as um, an extension of what you do in the pulpit. If you are handling the word of God right. You are explaining and if we want to just simply define biblical preaching as explaining and applying the text. Mm -hmm. In public ministry, we do that corporately and publicly. But in the private ministry of the word, in a counseling session to a married couple, to a young person trying to make sense of what they're hearing in a college classroom or in a high school classroom, we are doing that same thing, explaining and applying scripture privately mm -hmm. and personally. But the heart of that, explaining and applying scripture, is still the same root of, of both of those ministries. Um, I love what on one occasion uh, I heard uh, President Al Mohler of Southern Seminary say. That there are really three questions for a pastor to ask in, in counseling. You know, what's your problem? What does the Bible say about it? Why are we still talking? Um, so I really, I, without sounding redundant. The more a pastor, this is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all scripture is breathed out by God, verse 16, and then verse 17, that the man of God may be competent, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Allow that every good work to apply to pastoral counseling. The more you understand the word and have a biblical word worldview and a faithful understanding of the scriptures, the more equipped you are in, mm -hmm. in the pastoral counseling to respond to those things. Um, my concern is... And I think there are a bunch of resources. So, Ravi Zacharias, the Gospel Coalition, Tim Keller, I think John Piper. Mm -hmm. uh, I look for I look to them to address Russell Moore. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm listening to increasingly more. Um, I have benefited over the years from Hank Hanegraaff, who uh, took over the Christian Research Institute. I was I would as a younger preacher daily listen to the Bible Answer Man. Mm -hmm. Um, I benefit from Josh McDowell. A part of my regular study is Norman Geiser's books. Mm -hmm. uh, when skeptics ask and critics ask, mm -hmm. I just use that as a reference to see if there is, you know, what ways are is the text attacked mm -hmm. by those who are critical and unbelieving. I just, I just think a pastor ought to keep those two books mm. handy. Um, Could you say those two? When skeptics ask mm -hmm. and when critics ask. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so I think there are a lot of resources. My concern is that I don't want, I believe that the day and times we live in, apologetic ministry is absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. But I do not want pastors to feel that this is another world out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That there are apologists who are experts. Right. And we need to leave this to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I really believe at this point, a faithful pastor needs to view his Sunday morning preaching mm. as apologetic ministry. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, in terms of just the inductive Bible study method. Um, you ask, what is the text? say what does it mean how does it apply how does it relate in terms of correlation to the rest of scripture 
But the fifth question I've started to ask is, what does this text refute? Or what does this text affirm? Mm -hmm. And I'm beginning to ask that those qu kinds of questions to think about how does this text affirm truths of the historic Christian faith? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm looking for that where in verse 17, it mentions God, the Father. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 18, it mentions the Lord Jesus Christ. And it just in subtle passing gives me a chance to affirm. Mm -hmm. You know, the Paul here, speaking of the Father and the Son, mm -hmm on the same level right. I am trying to which is an affirmation of the Trinity is not a sermon on the Trinity mm -hmm. but that's really how the scripture the scripture doesn't define the Trinity formally mm -hmm. it's just kind of in saturated in the scriptures and I'm trying to think about that and show them that just in the fabric of scripture mm -hmm. truth is taught and it is affirmed and I'm trying to think apologetically um because I am going to do some counseling. As a youth pastor, you are going to do some counseling. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of the needs are not going to be people that are going to come in. They're going to just be sitting out there. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to be thinking about how you can be helping and equipping people on Sunday mornings to go to school on Monday, to go to mm. work on Monday, and be and have a worldview from the Christian perspective to process these things, mm -hmm. to have the ability, 1 Peter 3.15, to give an answer right. to anyone that asks them the reason why they have placed their hope in, in Christ. Um, so some of the answers I'm giving the way I am, I, I think right now, Christian witness must be defined as Christian apologetics. Mm -hmm. I think maybe there was a time where those are two different categories, and it is not. Christian witnessing that is not apologetically informed mm -hmm. is going to be spiritually impotent. Mm -hmm. Preaching, teaching, <laughs> music, mm -hmm. Christian music, and just the local witness of the everyday believer in their circle of influence needs to be apologetically informed. This cannot be, God help us, if basically Sproul, Keller, Zacharias are the basically custodians of apologetics. Mm -hmm. Every believer needs to be apologetically equipped. And that, that needs to happen in the normal body life of the church mm -hmm. in all of its spheres. That's real good. Amen. Um, could you talk a little bit about um, what the prosperity gospel is and why it's so dangerous? The prosperity gospel is heresy. I can say that in one word. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is heresy. Um, to be honest with you, I don't get opportunities to talk about this much. Mm -hmm. And I think about it a lot. And I haven't really formulated in my head all that I want to say. But I, I think the danger of it is... the spirit of the larger culture mm -hmm. has infiltrated the church. There is this entrepreneurial spirit of America, capitalism, you know, this is why, um, yeah, I, I think that has just, I think in leaning over to reach the world, the church has fallen in. Mm -hmm. And really, 
I think even some Christian preachers, some particularly who are bent toward prosperity theology, start calling themselves life coaches and other things to kind of give them some more acceptance in the larger business world, cultural world, because in a real sense, maybe with some religious jargon, they are saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So I think my success, my wealth, my happiness, I- anything. Marva Don wrote a great book on worship called A Royal Waste of Time. Mm-hmm. And her argument in The Royal Waste of Time is that God is the end of worship, not the means of worship. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if I praise God to get something, mm-hmm. it means my, my highest object is not God. I am manipulating God, using God to get something that I really want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that happens in a lot of subtle ways mm-hmm. in the church. And I think in its extreme form is prosperity theology mm-hmm. that makes an idol out of health wealth and success Mm -hmm. I think it manipulates scripture it Mm -hmm. is amazing how you can find a blessing in every passage of scripture when you listen to these cats I mean (laughs) it's just um, I also think this the increased emphasis on prosperity theology is I I just think you see even more troubled and broken and hurting people Mm -hmm. I think there is a the 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 seesaw as the prosperity theology rises i think the theology of suffering mm-hmm. and sacrifice and obedience and surrender mm-hmm. and faithfulness decreases mm-hmm. um this is the christ who bids us to take up our cross deny ourselves and to follow him daily mm-hmm. and I don't I think to see many examples of that you have to leave our culture or you have to leave our you got to go outside of our culture or you have to go behind our culture in church history mm-hmm. to give because in our day and time there is this fixation with me mm-hmm. and um, I think um, it is spreading and I think it is theologically dangerous. I think it is cancerous to the soul. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think it should be treated as just another. I have charismatic brothers mm-hmm. and Pentecostal brothers and sisters in Christ. I, but I don't think this should just be put as another category. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a redefinition mm-hmm. and a manipulation. This is what Paul would call another gospel Mm -hmm. and um, I think it is increasing and I feel like too many of the most prominent names in Christianity adhere to this and it is so normalized now that it is in the bloodstream and when you say something opposite of this in a common setting it feels like you're saying something odd rebellious controversial Mm -hmm. yeah but I've seen the danger especially in millennials who have this expectation of God and you're holding God to something that he never said. So it creates people who are bitter towards God because 
their pastor misrepresented God before before them. So it is really, really dangerous for people on the back end when they come through that and they have these expectations of God. And you're like, no, you didn't. That's not the God of the Bible. That's the God that's been manipulated by preachers. And they have to go through almost a detox um, to get a healthy biblical diet in order to understand that they were not disappointed by God, but disappointed by a God that man made. Well, there are these surveys that say people are leaving the church. And I, you know, Mark Twain says there's three types of statistics, you know, um, lies, damn lies, and statistics. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, be careful with the statistics. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how much, to the degree that is true, that people are starting to leave the church. Mm -hmm. It is not rooted in this disappointment with God. Mm -hmm. That is not, however, the God of the Bible, but it is the God made in our image mm -hmm. being lifted up, mm -hmm. who basically exists for our success, our happiness. Mm -hmm. And this is what I mean, a theology of suffering mm -hmm. decreases. Mm -hmm. um, Romans eight twenty eight does not mean that if <laughs> you fire me, it means God's just going to give me a better job. <laughs> That's not what that means. It doesn't? No, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> it may mean that in my season of unemployment, mm -hmm. God may teach me how to depend on him mm -hmm. or to be a better steward or to make wiser decisions mm -hmm. or to deepen my faith rather than depending on my money, ability, success, connections. Mm -hmm. And if in the midst of that, I learned to depend on God instead of my vocational skill. That verse says, that's good for you. Mm. It's character shaping. And um, I think you are absolutely right. There are younger people who have been burned by it. But I also think there are millennials you have one category of millennials who have been burned by it, but I think you have another category of millennials whose hypocrisy meter is just high and they see the folly of it. Mm -hmm. And they, they just, that can't be. That's, that's get rich stuff. Mm -hmm. Pyramid scheme. <laughs> that's pyramid scheme. You know, they see the scandals. They see you know, that the preachers, you know, are basically hobnobbing with the music. Mm -hmm. And they just saying there's no difference. Mm -hmm. There's no difference. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, Vance Havner, the old Southern Baptist evangelist, used to say that the problem with the church, and he said this 50 years ago, that the problem with the church is that instead of inviting the prodigal home, we're making the pig pen look more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what pr the prosperity teaching can do mm -hmm. it can it can make the far country seem attractive mm -hmm. so that the prodigal doesn't see a need mm -hmm. to come home and um, I think that's just dangerous Pastor can I ask you a question just knowing your history and kind of the platform that you have you have um, influence in what would be considered traditional black church and also in the evangelical world with Southern Baptists um, just talk about a little bit of that theology of suffering and how 
the typical portraits of the black church as being prosperity gospel or um, typical characters of the black church being um, you know highly emotional but you come from a tradition where sound theology and textual preaching has been evident and your life has been marked from it and you're actually a fruit of some of these great traditions for those who may be ignorant of it could you just maybe talk about your experience of sound theology and your background sure I think you should not go to church on YouTube you should not go to church on TV mm. and I think when you just kind of look at some of that stuff I think you draw generalizations mm -hmm. that are not true not wise not fair mm -hmm. that's one thing I think um, I may be in uh, predominantly white Christian circles and sometimes a brother will ask me what do I think about the demise of uh, you know uh, expository preaching the, mm -hmm. in the black church and I tell him same thing I think about the demise of expository <laughs> preaching in the white church <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there are just as many white prosperity preachers as there are black mm -hmm. and many of our black ones learned it Mm -hmm. from their spiritual fathers mm -hmm. the white ones mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just in faithful biblical preaching mm -hmm. is not the norm in our culture mm -hmm. would be my guess um, and I think that's across races mm -hmm. I think it's just important I don't know I just I'm I'm not as I feel like I'm as, as ambitious filled with holy ambition for the gospel mm -hmm. um I think, though, even though my ambition, holy ambitions for the gospel are increasing as I think I get older, and I hope that means I'm maturing in the faith, I think my confidence in the special, in the unique, in the spectacular is decreasing. So I just don't feel like all these movements, mm -hmm. I just feel like God has worked through, works primarily through the ordinary means mm -hmm. of grace. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I say that in connection to, I feel like, you know, there are big statements we are making about race mm -hmm. and the gospel, and I think these are great. But I really just feel like more can be done mm -hmm. when a white brother goes down the street, a black brother goes crap down the road, mm -hmm. and just makes friends with a white. Mm -hmm. And you all just, what can we partner with together? Mm -hmm. Let's do an evangelism thing together or a prayer. And just in communities, churches, people are getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. Um... I feel like we don't know each other and from a distance mm -hmm. we draw conclusions. Mm -hmm. That's all introduction. Mm -hmm. um, I preach in I preach in black churches to this day where if I started trying to hoop they would be just as offended as some white church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are black churches where that will not fly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a whole lot of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some of the same things that a white Christian unfamiliar with hooping would say about about it, black people who've been in black churches all their lives would say the same thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yes, I, Frederick Casey Price was a youth pastor in my father's church. Mm. So all of those years where you know Apostle Price is on TV <laughs> talking about that Baptist church he came out of that didn't know anything he talking about my daddy church <laughs> you know he talking about my daddy's church That's, um, and 
when he started teaching that stuff, they ran him out of there. And my daddy's church, my daddy's all the things they would hear, they ran, they they wore that as a badge of honor. Yeah, no, we would not go with that stuff. That's the church I grew up in. And I think there there is much of that. Um, you know, uh, the, I, I would say black churches are traditionally more conservative. And there are certain things that they, you know, I was in seminary and we were studying about, um, you know, the new perspective on Paul and people, you know, questioning the historicity. And, mm-hmm. and I, I just kind of mentioned some of that in my Sunday school class and, you know, my and people were like, what? <laughs> you know, Reverend, well, don't be bringing that here. <laughs> you know, some of the things that have happened, conversations that the, the church has believed about, and so many churches mm-hmm. are committed to sound, biblical convictions. Um, I don't think it is fair to, I, I started out with YouTube and TV. Mm-hmm. To look at those and draw conclusions about the whole. It's not fair to do that to any group. Right. Mm-hmm. And I run in circles where, let me tell you something, I wouldn't be invited to a whole lot of things that happen because of my convictions. And there's a lot of, lot of churches where these big t- name guys would not be welcome and their teachings mm-hmm. are, are not affirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I just think you get to I think you don't get that to learn that by by looking at who's being published in the bookstore or who's in the magazines Mm -hmm. headlining conferences or who's on television they put people on quote unquote Christian television because they can pay for time not Mm -hmm. because they're preaching Christian truth Mm -hmm. I think as you get to know other Christians Mm -hmm. that's the slower route and the harder route to show yourself friendly you're going to get to know a lot of faithful Godly, Hispanic, Asian, mm-hmm. Black, White Christians who love the Lord Jesus, who love the church, mm-hmm. and who will love you. And um, I think that's the hard work that we need to do to bring revival mm-hmm. in our country. That's good. Mm-hmm. So, um, Pastor Charles, uh, what are some of the new challenges we face preaching to an increasingly secularized, secularized society? Sure. So, I don't care if you disagree with me. This is my goal on Sunday morning. I just want to be clear. Mm-hmm. I want to be clear about what the truth is. Mm-hmm. I think there are two major priorities. I have three priorities for the pulpit. And the third one is not a priority. It's a hopefully an aftershock of the first two. Mm-hmm. I want to be faithful to the text. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that the message faithfully represents the God intended meaning of the text that I am exposing what God has said in this text, not imposing some idea on the text that is alien to what it intends to communicate. Mm -hmm. But the second thing, and I mean, I really put this right next to faithfulness to the text, because if you understand the text, but there's a fog in the pulpit, people are still going to leave confused. Mm -hmm. I think you need to be clear. Mm-hmm. A part of that means you don't assume anything in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean you should dumb things down. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm congested. My wife is doctoring up on me. If it gets serious in the cold, you're gonna, I'm going to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. But 
He'll give me a prescription and half the time, not most of the time, you can't even read it. Mm-hmm. But you don't reject that prescription because you don't read it. Mm-hmm. You can't understand it. They got names of stuff. You know, I had a problem with my knee and they described it and I still can't tell you exactly. I can't pronounce what they say was wrong with my knee. <laughs> but they did a surgery on my knee. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't, in any other field, mm-hmm. it is acceptable that there are certain there's there's terminology, there's truth claims, there are that go along with this, and not everybody's gonna get this. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when you get to the church, in the name of reaching people, we have to water. We feel the need to water everything down to its least common denominator. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that, we whittle out the things that make the gospel unique, mm-hmm. that make the gospel true. I'm not suggesting that you should do that, mm-hmm. but I think you need to be clear. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I preach all over the country, and I a lot of times I quote I quote a lot of scripture in my preaching, and I'm quoting chapter and verse. But I'm all over the country, and I'm watching people write down mm-hmm. because you may know you've heard trust in the Lord with all your heart. You didn't know it was in Proverbs three. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just I'm doing that to for the sake of clarity. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think a preacher should back down off of theological terms. Mm-hmm. But don't just throw a term out there and let it and hang. Define, it. <laughs> define the term. I, I wanna, I wanna say God is, um, God is, um, omniscient. Mm-hmm. God knows everything known, unknown, and knowable. God never learns anything. Mm-hmm. But that's me saying three. And that, there's a. Almost three different levels of me saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to preach with those kinds of snapshots. Because mm-hmm. I feel, you know, I want to keep a rhythm in my preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think preaching is a theological lecture. Mm-hmm. It is um, it's a call to arms. Mm-hmm. Not, not the evening news. And in that process, I do think there should be passion in preaching. That's the third thing. I think there ought to. I want me to. Be, I want to be passionate uh, in the preaching, but I don't think it should be contrived passion. I think it's rooted in the results of my my efforts to be faithful and clear. Mm-hmm. And I really think the challenge of preaching in an increasingly illiterate age is to make sure you are rightly handling the word of truth, mm-hmm. and then make sure you are being clear. I think there is a hunger for the word, but people don't know. They haven't. They don't know that that's what they have an appetite for. Mm-hmm. And when they get truth, I just think it's a lot of people at this church who came from churches where there was a lot of other foolishness. When you hear sound preaching, you're just like, I can't believe I was wasting my time, and I can never go back. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Um, and I think there are a lot of churches like that. I'm not saying this church or this pulpit is special in that regard. There are a lot of churches like that. I think people are hungry. People, the, the the best one of the best people need God. John Piper says in the beginning mm-hmm. of his book, preaching on the supremacy of God. People need God, mm-hmm. but He's the unknown cure. They don't know. Right. And I think as you give them that faithfully from the text, but you strive, which I think is a whole other thing. It's hard work to understand the text, but I think it is hard work to present it clearly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To think about the times we are living in, how to apply this, mm-hmm. not just colloquially. Right. 
but thinking about the issues of the day that are apologetic issues. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the church can't be a place where we're just singing and shouting on Sunday mornings and our kids are having to go to school and figure out issues of gay marriage, Mm. of abortion. All of these things are in the news every day. Mm -hmm. USA Today, every day. Mm -hmm. And... You know, really, we haven't done our job on Sunday if we're not saying something to help people process life on Monday. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's that requires I don't don't have anything deeper or more exotic Mm -hmm. or special than that. Mm -hmm. Strive to be faithful to the text. Strive to be clear in the presentation. And I really do think you should strive to be passionate in the presentation. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't preach like a. Don't teach mm-hmm. like a paid representative. Mm-hmm. Preach and teach like a satisfied customer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any benefits of preaching to um, increasingly secularized society or those who are biblically illiterate? Man, let me tell you something. As serious as the times are, mm-hmm. I'm very excited to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. I only wish, my only regret. Is that I'm not as young as you are. <laughs> but I just, I think these are great times to be a preacher of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing, I have a friend that's preaching through 1 Peter. And I think that's one of the books of our times. Mm-hmm. Where Peter is preaching to Christians and churches in a hostile cultural environment. Mm-hmm. And he's teaching them how to be Christian. Mm-hmm. In a society that is growing increasingly hostile to their convictions, which will soon become outright persecution. Mm-hmm. I think First Peter may be a New Testament book that is especially relevant um, for our people to understand in these times. I think these are great times because I think the problem with American church culture is that there is cultural Christianity not biblical Christianity mm-hmm. and I think it may be a good thing mm-hmm. that people that are not serious about Christ are actually just fessing up and not going to church mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. I mean I think one thing that will help the prosperity gospel problem is that when preachers are going to jail for preaching the truth mm-hmm. I think you're going to see who the real guys are and who the real <laughs> guys are right. yes yeah. it'll yeah. filter it out <laughs> yeah um, I think these are great times for us to be able to say this is what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. I think the church needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. I think the world needs to hear that and not hear it. They need to see it. Mm-hmm. They need to see it in the life of the church, in the community of the church, in the way the church loves the world. Mm-hmm. I think these are exciting times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the darker the night is the more you can see the stars. Mm -hmm. And I think we are living in increasingly dark times and the uniqueness, the exclusive claims, the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ. These are great days for the truth of the gospel Mm -hmm. to shine. Um, I mean, some of our great heroes of the faith, a Charles Spurgeon, Mm -hmm. a Martin Luther, God raised them up in times where there was darkness. Mm Mm-hmm. And he, these men who were holding up the torch of the gospel, God raised them up. And I'm praying that in this generation, God will raise up such 
voices because mm-hmm. this is a great time. People are looking for truth, for direction. Mm-hmm. They are they are adrift trying to find an anchor for the soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just say, don't be discouraged over these days. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like uh, the world is the, the nation is the devil is taking over and the world is. Mm-hmm. It's turning away from the church. Church was already, the world was already there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the best thing that can happen, the best thing the church could do for the world is let the world be the world. Mm-hmm. I think we keep trying to merge the two right. and try to make them as compatible, and they are not compatible. Mm-hmm. And I think these distinctions, the culture changes, are forcing us to recognize the distinction mm-hmm. that the world is not friends with the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are friends of the gospel, the gospel, Christi- the life of the Christian faith. You cannot; it's not compatible with what the world does. Mm-hmm. And I just think um, that will cause some difficulties for upholding the truth. But I also think um, the messengers may suffer. But I mm-hmm. think these are days where the message can shine, mm-hmm. and I think that's an encouraging thing. That's good. Amen. Anything you want to leave with us? You have the last word. Yeah, um, I just want to thank you for your work, and uh, I want to encourage you to stay the course, and I just, in the highest terms, would commend the emphasis on um, apologetics, and um, really, I feel like, uh, I don't know if there was something like this when I was a young adult, Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I grew up with BTU, (laughs) 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 and I knew how to do Bible drills. But how to understand my faith, how to defend my faith. Um, yeah, I think these are especially needed. And um, I would encourage you to stay the course. I would I just think that for those who are listening, I think resources like this and others that we've mentioned and discussed in this episode would be important because during these days, um, you need to know where you stand, but you need to know why you stand there mm-hmm. as well. Um, and if you don't know why you stand, you'll you'll compromise, mm-hmm. or you'll get blown away by the rising tide of error, or persecution, or deceit. Um, you need to stand on the rock and know why you are standing on that rock. Um, and I think that when you do that. There is the blessing of Matthew seven twenty four through twenty seven, and that blessing is not that you will have a storm free life or ministry. Both houses in that parable, Jesus says of them both: the rains fell, the winds blew, the flood rose, but one house stood because it was founded on the rock. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Charles. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Jude Three Project podcast. Um, as always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. Check out our blog. Um, subscribe to us on iTunes by searching Jude3project. Follow us on Twitter at Jude3project, on Instagram at Jude3project, and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Jude3project. And remember, at the Jude3project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.